following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. things I miss sometimes, I miss my mind the most, so. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully I won't forget my sermon this morning, anyway. But again, glad you're here. Uh, we're going to begin a new little series this morning, it'll probably be just two or three weeks long, but now it's a new year, and this is going to be a banner year, I think, for Welford Baptist Church. Uh, you've elected a search committee, and they are busy meeting now, beginning that process. I know they've met with the associational director here, Paul McKee, uh, and you've got good folks on this committee. You really do. It's a strong committee and a good committee. And they're working together. They're praying together, and that's what I want to speak of this morning. Because believe it or not, you're on this committee. You really are, each and every one of you. And you're serving. How are you serving? Your job is to pray for them. Your job is to seek God and to pray to God and ask for his man and his will and who is selected. And that's what you're to do. And that's why I want to uh, speak on prayer for a couple of three Sundays here, okay? Now, also on Monday mornings, I come for staff meeting, which we have around 10 o'clock if any of you would like to meet with me for prayer in uh, Carl Reed's classroom at 9 o'clock on Monday mornings, I'm going to be there. And we're going to pray for this committee. We're going to pray for God. We're going to pray for your next pastor. But if you need to come and you have any kind of issue that you have, any kind of need, we'll pray for that. We'll pray for your family members, whatever. But 9 o'clock, just down the hall in Carl Reed's classroom, and it's just going to be a few minutes, okay? And you don't have to dress up or anything. You just come because we're going to come together before God and pray to him. All right. So prayer, prayer. I remember when I was a young man and I was heading off to seminary, or at least it was the year before I went to seminary, I was out of church there for a while. I was fighting God. I was fighting my call. Last thing in the world I wanted to do was be a pastor and to preach. Anyway, God wore me down. I was back in church. I think I've told you this, and I was just attending, working a little bit in the church. Sonny Blackwood from Union, South Carolina, was the pastor of Liberty First Baptist Church, where Jane and I attended. And, boy, he could preach. My goodness. He didn't have a pastor's heart, but, boy, he could preach, and he helped me tremendously. But before he preached, when he walked up to the pulpit, nine out of ten times, he would pray this, pray Psalm nineteen fourteen, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that prayer said a lot to me because he was coming up to preach, not in his strength, not in his wisdom, and really not in his words. 
God has got to be all about you. You've got to be in this and through it and under it and above it and everything. It's got to be your words, and I pray that your words will, will go out. Leading up to this, as I mentioned, I was in rebellion against God for a while. There were a lot of circumstances beyond my control that left me with what I thought many times shattered plans. Because it seemed like I'd make plans to go in this direction, that door would shut. This direction, that door would shut. And a day came when I was alone. And I was upset. And I was disappointed by another door that had been shut. I was sad and I was angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at myself. I was angry at life. But out of that, all of that came together. That something that was far more significant than the circumstances was I sensed a need for God that I had never really realized before. And all alone, I was there, and I prayed. And I acknowledged to God, Father, I need you. Man, do I need you. I told him that I was rebellious against him in my heart. I asked for his forgiveness and for him to take control over my life. And I really believe that was the significant turning point in my spiritual life then and there. And I never looked back. As an adult, I prayed thousands of times just like many of you have as well. I prayed in the morning when I wake up. I pray in the shower. I pray in personal devotions. I pray with Jane when we have our time together in the mornings. I pray late at night when uh, when there's been a sick baby, a sick child. I I prayed privately. I prayed many times publicly. Sometimes I've written out a prayer that I had to pray at in public at a very important kind of meeting. Other times. I prayed many routine prayers there before a meal and we sat down to eat. And here I am today, and you know what I want to tell you? I want to learn more about prayer. There's much more for me to learn about prayer. Why? Because I want to pray more, and I want to pray better. And I know God hears me. He has heard me over the years, and he's answered many, many, many prayers, all my prayers in one way or another. But I want to pray more. I want to pray to know him better and to talk to him better. So let me ask you, prayer, what is prayer? How would you define prayer? Would any of you just volunteer to maybe give a little definition of what you think prayer is? Talking to God? Everybody, that good? Okay. Well, it's a simple question, and I think it deserves a simple answer, don't you? And I've looked for answers to that this week, last two weeks. The dictionary says prayer is a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or some object of worship. Okay? Other books, other websites online and all, I really couldn't find anything that I thought to be satisfying. And what you just said, talking to God is good. I know that prayer is more than asking. Prayer includes adoration. It includes worship. Prayer includes confession of sin. It includes meditation. It 
includes submission to God and his will. It's intercession, it's thanksgiving, and much, much more. So I decided that defining prayer is sort of like trying to define love. Now, how would you define love? You really can't easily put that into words, can you? Love is better experienced by is better learned by experience than by words. So I gave it my best shot, and I came up with this. What you said is good, and I'm going to speak to that. But I think prayer is communion with God. Now, I, too, started out thinking that prayer is speaking with God. It's communication with God. And that's certainly true, but then I began to understand prayer is much more than that. You know, when I call somebody, if I were to call one of you and the phone rings and rings and rings, nobody answers, you know what comes on, don't you? That recording. I'm not here. I'm sorry I missed your call. Please leave a message and I'll get back with you, right? And I leave a message. Well, uh, the message I leave is communication, but that's not communion, is it? Because I didn't speak to the person on the other end. Prayer, I believe, is communion with God. Now, I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper, which we observe, okay? The bread and the juice and that sense of intimacy of a close relationship with God. Prayer is also that it's communication like between a mother and a baby that's nursing at her breast. It's the communion or the communication between two people who are the very best of friends. It's the dynamic between a man and a woman who are deeply in love. To me, that just touches what prayer is all about because prayer is even much more than that. It's communion with God. It's sharing a relationship with the almighty God himself. 1,600 years ago, one of the early church fathers named St. Augustine wrote this, true whole prayer is nothing but love. That's all it is. Christians are those who are related to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and prayer is both the introduction to that relationship when we pray the sinner's prayer, and it's the basis of maintaining that relationship. It is, as I've said already, a communion with God himself where he first loves us and then we can love him. It's true that at times we drift away in sin. Guilty, all right? Yet there's a pull that is stronger that sort of sucks us back into him. And then we are called upon to confess our sins with the guarantee that we will be heard and our sins will be forgiven and our relationship with God will be restored. It's a communion in which we can share with God our deepest secrets, secrets of our hearts that maybe no one else knows, not even our spouse or any family. God alone is, truly understands our needs and our hearts and all that is going on. He shares our joys as well as our sorrows. Prayer is an intimate connection with God. It's a language of the soul, and it talks to God, and it hears him speak back to us in return. Prayer is sharing that relationship in words, sometimes in thoughts when you think a prayer to him, sometimes in song, sometimes in silence. 
to be still and know that he's God. Prayer is a language of the soul that communicates with the Lord God himself. There's so much more that can be said about prayer than just in these few minutes. You read the Bible in prayer, you'll see it's like a thread that's woven from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Over the last 2,000 years, there have been thousands of books written on the subject of prayer. Go online to any Christian book company, and you'll see you can find many of them there. But yet, I don't believe you put them all together. They've exhausted that all that can be said about prayer and all that can be understood about prayer. But when it comes to the basics for you and I today, to the essentials of prayer, you know where I think we need to go and where we need to begin. And that's with the life of Jesus Christ. I think if we want to see what a life of prayer is all about and how it looks, we go to him. Would you agree with that? To be Christians really is to pattern our lives after Jesus, is it not? What does Romans 8 say God's purpose is for our lives? To conform us, to chisel us, to, mock, to, to create us to be like Jesus, to conform us to his image. So we need to pray as Jesus prayed. And that's what we're going to learn from him today, okay? So there's like four or five little areas we're going to look at, four aspects of his prayer life. And that's what we're going to look at today. Number one, we're going to start with the public prayers of Jesus, Jesus' public prayers. You read the four Gospels, and from the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, prayer characterized his ministry. For example, in Luke 3.21, that scripture describes crowds of people being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And Jesus is coming to begin his ministry now, and he comes down to the Jordan River, and he asks John to baptize him. And I'd be like John, too. You're coming to me? To ask me to baptize you? No, you need to baptize me, Jesus. But Jesus was going to identify us by being, identify with us and being baptized, okay? And now you and I, we identify with Jesus by being baptized ourselves. But anyway, John was reluctant. He'd baptized hundreds of people, but it just seemed so inappropriate. So finally he agreed. And he was baptized Jesus. And as Jesus was being baptized, we're told this. He was in the water. John was about to immerse him in the water. And the Bible says he was praying. He wasn't thinking about the temperature of the water. He wasn't thinking about the depth of the water. He wasn't thinking of what other people were thinking. He wasn't even thinking about how he looked or was going to look after he got wet. Throughout the entire experience of baptism, evidently Jesus was praying and communing with God, and a wonderful thing happened. The Bible tells us that while he was praying, and this is what it says, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I take great delight." So that story tells me, you know one thing prayer does? It opens up heaven. Heaven's doors, heaven's gates are open when we pray to God. 
And that's what prayer is. It's the key that opens up heaven. Prayer is something that touches the very heart of God. And prayer is a two-way communion of love and relationship, as I said already. And in this example, there's no record of what Jesus prayed. We don't know what the words were that he said. Maybe it was too private for us to know. It was just between him and God. But what is important is that he prayed. He prayed during the entire episode. And so Christians, if we are to pattern our lives and prayers after Christ, prayer is communion with God, and our prayers is what unlocks heaven for you and I. So there's just one of his public prayers. Let's move on to his private prayers now, okay? Because what I just shared with you, that was just the beginning of what we know about his prayer life. And just as people today love to know about the, the private lives of the rich and the famous, people have always been curious about the life of Jesus. Mark 1, verse 35, gives an insight into the private life of Jesus. It says this, and then Jesus got up early one morning, and he went out to a deserted place, and there he spent time in prayer. I think that's an amazing scene that we have right here. In light, if you were to read the rest of the chapter, in light of how the day before Jesus' day was absolutely filled. He had preached to crowds in the synagogue. He cast out a demon from a hostile man that confronted him. He was constantly pursued by people seeking his attention to, to be healed the word had spread that Jesus was in town, and although he had been physically and spiritually drained and was seeking rest in a private home, the people still came. They were banging at the door. They were coming in through the windows. They wanted to see Jesus. They needed Jesus. They wanted their questions answered, to be healed, and to see and to touch him. And I'm thinking, when he went to bed that night, he had to be absolutely and totally exhausted, don't you think? And then early the next morning, he got up before the sun rose. After that kind of day, and he goes to a sol solitary place in order to pray. You and I, we sometimes think that Jesus in his humanity is somehow stronger than we are. But I don't know how true that is. Because... He took on man. He took on one of us. The Bible says he got tired. He got thirsty. He had emotions as we have emotions. And when the days were long and he was tired, I bet it was a little hard for him to get up the next morning and to go out in the dark and to pray. I try to understand that a little bit. <clears throat> I try to picture myself of what he faced that day. But I've never faced a day like that. At one time, I preached two sermons every Sunday morning. And Sunday afternoon, I was zapped. I was so tired. It's like I'd done a week's work. I was whipped. And just like Jesus, you and I, we've been confronted with difficult people, haven't we? Some images coming up in your minds right now. Someone who's been in your face, someone who yelled at you, maybe a one or two you knew were just full of evil. And there are people like that. 
It's like you're dealing with the devil himself. And even if you come out okay, boy, you're just drained from that confrontation there, that kind of ordeal. And we understand with Jesus what it's like to have one of those awful days of, of dealing with children and parents and sickness and difficulties at work. And by the end of the day, all we want to do is go home and go to bed wondering what more could happen to us. And when Jesus got up in our story the next morning, I'm sure it wasn't an easy thing for him to do. And when he went out to pray, I imagine he was drowsy at best. Now, I'm not suggesting that when we have our difficult days, we need to get up at the crack of dawn and go out and pray, okay? I'm not saying that. But there's nothing more virtuous than to pray after a difficult day like that. And if we're to pattern our lives after Jesus, then prayer must be a priority for us. I gave away a lot of books when I retired from the pastor to younger guys in the ministry. Here's a book that I had. I wish I still had it now, you know. But it was entitled this, Too Busy Not to Pray. And I think that's a great description of Jesus and the pattern he set for us. Because he recognized that when he was up against a wall with life, he needed to pray that much more. You ever feel that way? Luke 5, 16 tells us that after another draining and busy day, it reads this way, yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. That was his pattern. He gave priority to privacy in his prayer life. Not that he didn't pray in public because he did. We saw that. But a number of his public prayers are recorded in the Bible, but it's almost as if the public prayers of Jesus, it was like an iceberg. You know, an iceberg in the ocean, the tip of it shows, right? But about 80% of it is underwater. And that's what the... the prayer life of Jesus was like. We could see about 20% of his prayer life, but what undergirded it was underneath. It was what happened to his private prayers. When his followers came and asked him, Lord, how are we supposed to pray? We've been watching you. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, when you pray, you go into your closet. You go to an inner place. You go to a real private place. Close the door and then pray to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret and hears you in secret will reward you. So the private relationship Jesus had with God fueled the rest of his life in public. And that's the pattern for you and I to follow. The next one. The prayers that Jesus made before he made a major decision, his decision-making prayers. In Luke 6, 12, there's another insight into Jesus' practice of prayer. It tells about the day that he had to make an extremely important decision, perhaps one of the most important of his entire ministry. It was a day that he picked his 12 disciples, these guys that once he was crucified and buried and risen and ascended into heaven, they were going to be the ones to carry the gospel to the world. They were going to be the ones through whom the church was born. The ones that 
through whom you and I are sitting here today. On that day, he wisely chose Matthew. Matthew wrote one of the Gospels. He chose Peter who would make that statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He chose John, another one who wrote part of the New Testament. Thomas, who would fear, uh, first appear to be the ultimate doubter, but eventually, according to tradition, he was the apostle that went to Asia and India. And what's amazing is that before Jesus made this important decision, he spent an entire night in prayer. He went out to a mountainside, and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his followers to him, and he chose 12 of them, knowing that one, Judas, was going to be, betray him. That's what you and I are to do. Not so much to pray all night, but boy, what a difference that would make, don't you think? What I'm speaking of is that we pray before making big, important decisions. What if we were to pray? to devote an entire night to prayer, to seek the mind of God in the decision before we got married or accepted a job or quit a job or started the business or filed for divorce. Imagine if all the decisions that we made in life followed that pattern of Jesus who prayed before he decided anything important in his life. I've had once or twice someone ask my opinion on something that was happening in their lives here, and I would think about it a moment and would share my opinion with them. And that person would say something like this, thank you for your opinion, but before I make a decision like that, I need to pray about that for two or three days. You know what? I like that. I like that. It's a communion with God that shows dependence on the Lord rather than independence that I'm going to make this decision. Again, you as Welford Baptist Church have a major decision for the church and a decision you make for a minister and his family. Wouldn't it be wonderful and motivating and encouraging that many of you would commit to daily prayer? that the right decision would be made. Friends, out on the two tables in the foyer some more of the copies of how to pray for this new pastor to come. If you haven't picked one up, I encourage you to. There's like six different ways to pray, six prayers. You don't have to pray each six every day. Take one a week. Take one a day. Pray. Pray for this man. Pray for God's will. Pray for the church. And then lastly, we're going to look at the painful prayer of Jesus. When he was in, prayer, when he was in pain, he was up against the wall. This is what he prayed. This is how he prayed. In Matthew 26, 36 through 44, it's part of the New Testament's difficult to read. It was a time of great pain, a time of great sorrow in the life of Jesus. It was the night... When he was arrested, it was the night before he was tried and condemned and crucified and died. It seems to me that no matter how many times we read it or I read it, I feel like I'm snooping in a, in a really holy place. 
Let me read it for you. This is what the Bible says. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he became anguished, and he became distressed. And then he said to him, them, My soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here. Stay awake with me. And going a little further, he threw himself down on the ground with his face on the ground, and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, let this time, let this thing before me pass. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came back to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, can't you stay awake with me for an hour? Stay awake and pray that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done. And he came again and found his disciples sleeping, and they couldn't keep their eyes open. So leaving them again, the third time he went away and he prayed, saying the same thing once more. That night, I think we all can see Jesus was experiencing deep sorrow. He was facing a horror that horror that words cannot describe. He grieved over the, 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 the losses he was about to face. He felt the pain of other people's sins. He felt the helplessness of the inevitable because this is why he was born. This is why he came into the world. And it's sad that so often when we read this, we get hung up on how sleepy the disciples were. And shame on them, we think. But this story is not about them. It's about the submission of Jesus Christ to the Father. It's a story about Jesus doing what we all try to do. He tried to think of alternatives. He prayed, my Father, if it's possible for, for this, this hour to pass, this, this thing in front of me to pass. And you and I both know when we're up against it, when we feel crushed by things that may or not be our fault, we plead for God. God, give me an alternative. God, leave me another way. Open another door. Do something. Get me out of this. Jesus was laying on the ground, face down with his face in the dirt, praying with such intensity that he had to take a prayer break. And he went to check on his disciples. And then he went back and prayed the same prayer again. Father, there's got to be another way. Wouldn't it be possible for me not to drink this terrible cup you put on the table before me? He struggled through it and then prayed the same thing. God, there's got to be some way out of this. Father, in all your infinite wisdom, there's got to be another approach. But not my will be done, God. Yours. Yours. It was hard. It was the same prayer that as many of us who have Served, been served, or some of us have been served with maybe unwanted divorce papers or given a surprise terminal diagnosis or unjustly lose our job and we pray, oh God, there's got to be another way. But eventually we submit and we say, God, if this is what you've laid out before me, if this is what you want, so be it. Not my will but your will. You see, the issues of sorrow and sadness and submission 
they're real. And they are in the depths of our prayers, of praying with God. So this is what we have about the life of Jesus and his prayer life. But now I want to issue a challenge. You've listened to prayer defined as communion with God. How prayers, our prayers are to be patterned after Jesus. And maybe as you listen to this sermon, a thousand different thoughts about prayer and life have gone through your mind. But the question I want to know, and I'm asking myself this too, would you like to pray like Jesus prayed? Would you like to pray like Jesus? When the disciples of Jesus saw him and heard him pray, I'm thinking they said, man, what a prayer. That's special. That's different. That's the way I want to pray. That's the way we want to pray, they said. And Luke 11, 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he stopped, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I'd like for you and I to consider a challenge to pray that prayer for each and every one of us, just to pray to God. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray like that. How about right now? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And don't say it, I suggest it, but only if you really want to ask Jesus. Ask him, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord Jesus, for those of us who prayed that prayer today, I know you're going to answer us. Teach us to pray like you prayed. I pray you'll open heaven when we pray. I pray you'll hear our prayers, whether it's private or public, for the big and the small things that happen in, in our lives. Even, Lord, when we're in the depth of sorrow, teach us to pray. For Jesus, it's in your name above all names that I pray this prayer. Amen. It may be as we sing in just a moment, you may want to come and to pray here at the altar. That's a good thing. You may want to pray with someone. Maybe someone in here, you may need to go either come down here with them or sit beside them for a moment. Just touch their hand or whatever and pray with them. But Lord, teach us to pray. If you need to pray that prayer, the sinner's prayer, to confess your sins and to place your faith in Christ, come and share that with one of the pastors here today, would you? Let's stand together. We're going to sing. And as we sing, you come. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.